So we both have just watched the movie within the past week. The new 2021? Yes. You know, because this will never get posted on time. No. Oh, God, this is going to be posted in like three years. Remember when we all cared about Timothy Chalamet and this new Dune thing? (laughs) He had such promise. Whatever happened to that kid? Ah, the hard drugs in the superhero movies. Mm I'm Eric. And this is We Used to Be the Smart Kids. Today's topic, Dune. So I read the book about a decade ago, and I don't think Kara's ever read the book. No. My experience with Dune has been to be completely bored with everything involving Dune, ever. (laughs) The only things I knew about it before watching the film were there is a thing called Spice, although I'm not sure I knew that. (laughs) <laughs> it just felt familiar. And I knew there were, like, space worms. Yes, space worms are important. Tremors just ripped it off wholesale. Oh, I think I've seen Tremors. Tremors is a better movie. <laughs> <laughs> this is the third time Dune has been filmed. Almost fourth. There was an attempt before the David Lynch version that was supposed to be really trippy. Jodorowsky's Dune. There's a whole documentary about it. I actually really want to watch that. Yes. But I have no interest in Dune, but I like really (laughs) want to watch that. Like the movies that were almost made are always so much more interesting. Yeah, One Man's Insane Passion Project is what it sounds like. Mm -hmm. For it. Then David Lynch's Dune with Sting. No. Yeah, Sting from the police. (laughs) That one bombed terribly but i still enjoy it a little better than the most recent one there used to be on i believe it was tnt they used to show the five hour long cut of it overnight like once a year that is the super long four hour one yeah i think i've seen parts of that was it made in the 90s maybe 80s 80s. Um, the 90s one is the sci-fi channel miniseries I have seen parts of one of these. And the only things I remember about them are like a dark haired white man walking on sand dunes. That's so it could be it, it could yeah. be either. Or it could be tremors. You could be mistaking it for tremors. I thought tremors happened on a beach. No. Oh crumb. <laughs> <laughs> no, really? Nope. It's happens like in the a... Midwest, in the middle of a desert. I mean the most recent one did happen on a beach, but I don't think you've seen Tremors six. No, but there was like a film I watched when I was a kid and it terrified me and there were worms and they came out of the sand and they had a lot of teeth and they ate people. And this was at a beach. I thought there was a body of water there. Yeah. I mean, not like it wasn't like on a beach, like a beach movie. It was just like there was a lake or something and the people were getting eaten by the lake. Was it Beetlejuice? No, but I'm also very scared of Beetlejuice. (laughs) Beetlejuice also stole the giant worms from Dune. Basically, Dune's pop culture relevance is a lot of things are ripped off from it directly. Star Wars, in particular, ripped off a lot from Dune. Okay, I'm surprised by this. Like, the whole space opera setting, it feels like a lot of it came from Dune to begin with. Dune is, it's that whole feeling of, yes, we're in space, but there's all these cultures, and it's not all shiny spaceships and laser beams and shit like that. There's going to be blood and... It's the hero's journey in space. Yes, yeah, basically. Lord of the Rings. 
in space. Like, it's not the first space opera, obviously, because... This is not obvious to me. Don't say obviously. I don't know this. <laughs> I spend my life in a hole with the space worms. Yes. Fill me in. With the sandworms at the beach from this non-existent movie. I'm going to Google Tremors. Just watch it. It's, it's a delight. Scarred for life. Don't need to see it again. Yeah, you do. It's got Reba McIntyre in it. Is it supposed to be funny? Yes. Hmm. And Kevin Bacon. You you cannot discount Kevin Bacon. That could be why I hate Kevin Bacon, though. <laughs> Who like, hates Kevin Bacon? Me. And I can never place why his face freaks me out. But in like, like he does have a weird face. He does have a weird face. It's, but beyond that. It was the eternal teenager face. And then he got old in it. And it was, dear God. Beyond that, every time I saw him for a long time, I would have like this visceral fear reaction. And I didn't know why. And it could be because of Tremors. Anyway, uh, space opera stretches way way back to i'm going to say the 30s the lensman series i think is the earth space opera which is basically space cops tracking down the drug trade and i I, this is complete i've never heard of this no one is surprised (laughs) at this point ee doc smith i want to say is the author uh the green lantern Corps ripped it off entirely the comic book yeah Okay. Uh, mm. But yeah, it's space cops with special rings that give them powers. So also Captain Planet. Yes, also Captain Planet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they're rings that let them combine to make a silvery twink, but I don't know. I haven't read well, all the books. No, I feel like that came from Power Rangers. Or, or Power Rangers came from Captain Planet. I mean, we can go back to Voltron if we want to say Power Rangers came from anything. I thought Voltron was the antagonist in Power Rangers. Oh, God. Yeah, we've gone completely off the rails here. This is... (laughs) Dune, we are talking about... (laughs) I'm just free associating with every random, random tiny bit of knowledge I might have. Beachworms. This sounds like this to me. Okay, anyway, back to Dune. Yes. Back to Dune. So it wasn't the Earth space opera, but it imbued a lot of humanity into space opera. What I see Dune as is a young adult novel that was adopted by the hard sci-fi crowd because it used a lot of weighty language and discussed some ideas that hadn't really been discussed in sci-fi before. It dealt with an oppressed people, and that wasn't always the case in sci-fi. Usually it's just manly men doing manly things and saving the planet from evil scientists. I don't know. So in some ways, it started the social commentary that's prevalent in sci-fi now? Yes. A word you're not going to hear in the movies, but was repeated ad nauseum in these books. Okay. Jihad. Huh. He was big on the idea of a holy war spreading throughout the galaxy, and he loved the term jihad and used it every other page. That is very of its time. And that's why they did not mention it at all in the movie, which I think that's part of the problem i had with this latest movie it was all very surface level we never really got to see the plight of the oppressed i mean that is a lot of what the books focus on is how these fremen are having their planet destroyed by the empire and the harkonnens are fucking them over and we never really see that in the book we never see how skittish they are from or in the movie, not the book. We never see how skittish they are after years of being abused by these slug men from this one powerful family. In the, the the feeling I got from the film was that they didn't mind it. Yeah. They were like, you know, you make a lot of money, so that's cool. Um, we don't really like you, but it's mostly because we're desert hermits. Yeah. They were killed and disrespected and 
had their water stolen and all this fun stuff. It was house good guy, the Atreides family, who started treating them with respect. We didn't get that in the movie. We got the Atreides showing up and already feeling like they were doomed. Yeah, the whole film to me felt tonally very flat. Yes. So I didn't get any of these feelings or emotions or... No, it, it honestly just looked like Timothy Chalamet brooding the whole time. Yeah, and that he's very it. good at brooding. Like, you can't take that away from him. He's not two and a half hours worth of brooding. No. Like, he's good, but he's not that good. Or I'm not young enough anymore. <laughs> For the first time in my life, I was like, someone should just smack some sense into that kid. And I was like, oh, I'm old. I cleared a hurdle somewhere. <laughs> now I'm an old person. So this is something I find really interesting. I want to... Get your opinion of what you saw in these movies. Like, what do you think a Bene Gesserit is? Space Nun. <laughs> That's all you got out of that. With a really, she had a real cool headdress. <laughs> <laughs> it was the only costume design I really liked. Uh, creepy Space Nuns who are creepy. Hold on. Let me see. I'm going to give you all the details I could possibly get. A cult of creepy space nuns who made a like a little space god dude thing and they have like special powers. Maybe. I think they have special powers. Yeah, that wasn't entirely I, clear, was it? I don't know if they're like born with them and then they find people who join the order or if they learn them. Are they teachable? Can I learn the special space creepy cult nun powers? I don't I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, and I think they have the ear of the emperor, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, this is supposed to be a galaxy-wide organization. All women. Every single woman? No, that they're, they're oh, made up of oh. women. There are no men in the order. Yes, every woman is a Bene Gesserit witch. I was like, what? That explains so much about this film. All of a sudden, it just fell into place. So the, you're supposed to get the impression that Paul is special because they've taught the weirding ways to Paul. I did get that. I didn't okay. know how significant that was. Like, yeah, I got they that, really undersold that. The feeling I got was that the Bene Jesuits were mad. <laughs> the Jesuits, yes. Yeah. They were mad at his mom for teaching him, but I wasn't sure if it was because he wasn't in the community, like their cult, or if it was because he was a man, uh, or if his mom just hadn't been given license to teach him, like. They were mad. But because she taught him, I was like, okay, so that's just the thing you can do. Like, you can mm -hmm. teach someone this thing. And there's supposed to be this grand love story between the Duke and Jessica, the Bene Gesserit. Who is the Duke? Oscar Isaacs. I couldn't tell if there was a grand love story or if he just liked her, but they were set up and she didn't like him. Like, I really, their relationship was weird and I couldn't yeah. put my finger on it. No, like she was supposed to give him a daughter, but because he wanted a son and she loved him so much... And the Bene Gesserit are not supposed to love their son. Their lovers? They're not supposed to love their lovers? They're not supposed to love the powerful men they've been assigned to. She was assigned to him? I'm pretty sure, yeah. This is very perplexing. It yeah. sounds like a much better story. Right? So she can decide the gender? Yeah, that's one of her Bene Gesserit powers. Inside of her womb, she just like filters out all the sperms? Yeah. If you're a dude sperm to the right if you're a lady sperm to the left and only i know where the egg is which fallopian tube it exists in mm -hmm. she uses the weird voice on his dick <laughs> i will accept only lady sperm tonight <laughs> i just feel like that's such a dude thing to write that the woman has the power to choose the with sex her special of the child. women magic yes it's just weird 
Anyway, she gives him the son that he wanted because she loves him. She's not supposed to love him. They have this grand love story. They can never get married because she's Bene Gesserit and they aren't allowed to officially be in power anywhere. I thought, so he doesn't say in the film that he should have married her. And what I took from that was he was not allowed to marry her, not she was not allowed to marry him. It goes both ways. Like, they're supposed to be the -the behind-the-scenes power, and everyone's worried that women will take over, so they can't actually be married to the powerful people. They cannot be anywhere in the chain of command. All right, in this series, do you know if the Bene Gesserit get fucked over in the The end? The Jesuits. I'm going to be honest. I stopped halfway through the second book. Which is apparently the advice they give you. If you ever get bored reading these books, just stop because they're not going to get any better. Oh, okay. Okay. I was just wondering because, like, women are too powerful to have power. It just, what a, hmm, where are you going with that, sir? (laughs) Just curious. Where are you going with that? I mean, it ends up being a woman who saves the universe, I think, from a half-remembered Wikipedia summary that Paul's granddaughter or daughter something ends up saving the universe. Oh, Paul ends up being the bad guy. So, spoilers. I mean, I can get behind Paul being the bad guy. He does have a lot of power. Well, he eventually becomes omnipotent and becomes a god emperor where he takes over the job of emperor and he knows everything that will happen. So, Including his granddaughter destroying him? Somehow, yes. Like, she is somehow outside of his omnipotence, but he knows that and he's like, okay, my time has come. She's going to be one who kills me. I'm against it, but you go ahead, sweetheart. I'm giving it too much of a feminist reading. (laughs) And I haven't read the book, so it's unfair. But it kind of gets my goat that it's his granddaughter, so it's still, like, from him. Yeah. Uh, That's all. I just, I'm curious how that plays out. Not curious enough to read Dune. I mean, go read the Wikipedia summaries. That's good enough. I don't want to turn this podcast into everything they left out of the movie. Ask me more questions. (laughs) (laughs) did you have any idea that the doctor would play that important a role no (laughs) did you have any idea the doctor was anyone but an extra they brought in to read a few lines no i just thought oh they are they're such a good family that they respect everybody even Mm -hmm. this random doctor they don't know no the doctor was supposed to be part of the inner circle so his betrayal hits you harder that's a big surprise. Yeah, right? I thought he really was just a random extra. Like, we need somebody to betray them. <laughs> He'll do. He'll do. He is part of the people that they trust the most. Uh, him, Duncan Idaho, and... Oh, God, what's his face? Duncan Idaho, really, it just sounds like a verb to me. <laughs> hey, what are you doing tonight? I'm in a Duncan Idaho, you know. Yeah, I am. I was thinking more like, like uh, it's like hanging out on your couch. That's a Duncan Idaho. That's a Duncan Idaho. Spending time alone. Without putting any clothes on. You know what a Duncan Idaho is? What is a Duncan Idaho? Enlighten me. It's taking a dump and then not getting dressed afterwards and hanging out all alone by yourself. That's that's a Duncan Idaho. The loneliest shit. (laughs) But it's not like a lonely thing. It's just like an appreciation of the biological processes (laughs) in your body and how you're a gross animal. And you're just like, I'm okay with that. Now I'm going to watch Pretty Little Liars <laughs> naked on my couch. This is like a regular Thursday night thing for you, huh? <laughs> okay. Um, did you have any idea what the spice does? Makes the air pretty? No. It looks like a craft room after a kindergartner's left it. 
There's glitter everywhere. <laughs> yes, that is exactly what it does. No, it is supposed to be for the weird mutants that run their spaceships. They have these weird crossbred mutants who are able to find the space lanes thanks to the spice because the spice lets you see the future. Oh. That would have been so cool if they actually mentioned that and we were wondering why Timothy Chalmay keeps seeing all these weird-ass visions. Oh, that explains why he, like... He's sensitive to it, and so he's, like, seeing what's happening, but he doesn't understand it. Hmm, that makes sense. And how he becomes the omnipotent god emperor, because this he's just huffing spice. Complete sense. Yeah. Okay. After he becomes an omnipotent god emperor, if you took him off planet, would he still be an, um, an omnipotent god emperor? Does he have to continue huffing spray cans? <laughs> I think he takes it with him. But if he didn't do that, would he uh, lose his I'm powers? Sure. I am not because sure. That's I, that's a story I do want to read. Yeah. Can you imagine you're an omnipotent god emperor, but then like you lose that power? What does that? I'd probably feel like dementia. I can no longer tell when my coffee is coming. It's do like you know, losing my memories in reverse. I feel like every writer on the planet would try to make that like a, like they'd spin it as a good thing because mm-hmm. every time people end up downgrading their characters to whatever the basic human experiences they're like oh no, but this is so relaxing now yeah or like but i like the uncertainty it it gives like a jolt to life like a what is that mm-hmm. word like a, a joie de vivre thank you yeah but without this you couldn't experience hope or happiness and i want that and you're just like guys come on it, come it's, on it's basically like having extra memory going forward it's got to feel so natural after a certain point and losing it, it's going to feel like, shit, there is something seriously wrong with me now. You're treating it seriously, and I'm just like, stop putting spin on the human condition. Everything sucks. <laughs> okay, um, trying to think what else they just completely glossed over in that. Well, what do you, because you don't want just want to talk about that, what do you, what do you want to talk about? I want to talk about how they just stopped the story in the most arbitrary place. The, yeah, the pacing of this just didn't. What pacing? It was so hard not to yawn. (laughs) I was in my living room and I was still so embarrassed for them. I was trying not to yawn. But it just, it was a very clunky story. His goal such that it was. So so the the setup for the whole story is I understand it. They go to this planet. He is a superhero of some kind because the oppressed people who are just so happy to be oppressed are like chanted like they like him. Mm -hmm. They're cheering for him. Because Because the Bene Gesserits planted a prophecy on them. In their midst, or just like, tweaked a prophecy they already had to say, "Hey, here's this guy. He's your Dib. Such a questionable thing. Yeah, we we just gloss over that because it makes way for super special Paul, and then they get blown up by the slug people, mm-hmm. and then the story is just an escape. De- it's it, uh, there's a, it's a genre. Come on, what genre is this? Escape into the desert story. I don't it's know. It's Mad genre Max. That is. No, Mad Max is better. It's like Hatchet with your mom (laughs) and a lot of tools. Mm -hmm. Um, Plus the sandworms from Tremors. Well, there were not enough sandworms. No, God, no. They saved the sandworms far too late. I feel like they were doing the Harry Potter thing where they were trying to show these scenes that have been in people's heads for decades now and putting them on the big screen for the first time and giving you that sense of wonder of being able to see what you've been imagining for so long. Lord of the Rings did it a lot better, but Harry Potter is like, here's that scene. Here's that famous scene where 
shit's falling down from the sky and there's feasts for everyone and oh my god it's so fucking pretty yeah like the ceiling of the great hall and the dragon in the fourth book and the mermaids yeah but in this one they hid that they hid the great worms they never really gave you that sense of wonder that you're on a different planet yeah the only things that i can guess are iconic scenes in this are people and i'm not joking i genuinely feel like okay so the iconic scenes of dune would be traipsing through the desert at twilight Mm -hmm. definitely riding a sandworm being bored and studying holograms in your room Mm -hmm. is that one no okay that was Uh, just him fucking around um i'm not (laughs) i'm not being difficult (laughs) like the hunter killer scene i wanted that to have a lot more resonance than it did that's the scene where you start rooting for paul because you realize he can be more than the spoiled rich kid Oh. That's when he starts seeming like this superhuman character. Like, shit, yeah, this is a power fantasy. It didn't look like a superhuman character. That just looked like the guy everybody hates in high school, but you can't hate him because he's just so skilled and so lovable and so Mm -hmm. nice. Yeah. And he really just does like everyone. And yeah, he's good at catching tiny things. (laughs) No, this is something that should be certain death. And the fact that it wasn't is built up so much in the book that it's so much more satisfying and we did not get that in this movie so let's talk about the structure of this home yes because you said that it came across as half of a ya novel and i think that's really accurate half of a very problematic i'm gonna go there ya novel (laughs) like we don't i don't i feel like probably people have talked extensively about the problematic shit in dune should we Mm -hmm. touch on that no let's let's let other people do that this is just okay so i'm gonna just like a nod to it yeah go Uh, just the white savior bullshit um othering the middle east so clearly yeah and yeah don't do that okay moving on moving on so yeah it's like the climax of the book is him returning with the fremen and killing the harkonnens that's getting revenge for his dad that makes so much more sense. Mm-hmm. So where this film ended, I thought we were just going to watch him assimilate into the Fremens and take over the world. Well, not not the world, like the, the, the universe. Yeah. The world of the story. The Harkonnens just don't feel like an enemy because they're so unimportant. It's like they, they came out of a Game of Thrones sci-fi. <laughs> like They're just in a totally different story in my head. They're the Empire from Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. They're cannon fodder. They're overwhelming cannon fodder at this point because the Atreides got fucked, but... Yes. But they're, like, they're not important. Like, him defeating them, I would just be like, okay. I don't care. Yeah. But right. that's that's the climax of the novel Dune. So then, the way that this is set up in the book, we ended at the midpoint? We ended at the call to action, Yes. No, that's that's not the call to action. The call to action is the very beginning of a story when you have to leave your house. Yeah, Duke Atreides has his call to action at the beginning of this book where he has to leave his house. Timothy Chalamet is just along for the ride. His call to action is when he has to leave the house and get the fuck out of the city and go be with the Fremen. He's just along for the ride until then. I'm thinking because it just like, it would just be such a great burn but I need to make sure it's accurate. <laughs> the only other call to action I can come up with. Uh, oh, crumb. Mm. So the call to action 
when he has to decide to go on the journey and not just follow the path that was set before him. When he and his mom escape and he uses creepy power voice. <laughs> it, I don't think that's really a call to action, though, because it's, it's still reactive. Yeah. Uh, maybe it can't be when he kills the hunter seeker because he it's reactive and yep yep the, the story only... ends at the call to action yep <laughs> it's a good burn Thank and you. an accurate statement so far <laughs> as i can tell <laughs> so yeah it just stops there because they wanted to do half the book paul is a non-character throughout this entire movie for the lead character he does not a goddamn thing. He gets the Gamjabar, and that's the closest we get to him having any bearing on the story. What is the Gamjabar? That's when the Reverend Mother says him stick his hand in the pain box, and if he moves or if he takes his hand out, she's going to stab him with the poison needle. Oh my gosh, they thought that was his call to action, didn't they? Yes, they did. That's why that scene is framed and shot that way. Mm-hmm. That is meant to be his big moment. But he doesn't do, I mean, the only thing that that shows you is he has resilience. Mm-hmm. It doesn't It doesn't demonstrate anything. It doesn't change anything in his life. Right. He would have gone and done that, done the exact same thing without that test. Yeah. He would have followed his dad to Arrakis and yeah. Yeah, and that test doesn't make him rethink anything or it does nothing. I mean, I, I guess it kind of makes him doubt himself. Not that it shows it anywhere in the movie, but. Well, it does a couple of times. He yells at his mom a couple of times for making him. For making him a freak. There's that time he appears behind the spaceship when the Bene are leaving. And she turns around and he's there. And he's like, ah, you made me a freak. Ew, eugenics. (laughs) You bred me. And then the time in the tent. Oh my gosh, they thought the time in the tent was the midpoint. Yes, they did. Wow, this is a really weird story. Okay, so that's the midpoint. The midpoint is the turning point. Yes. It's where the stakes get higher and your character has to make a big decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> okay, so he's in the tent and he has like a weird vision and he gets mad and he's kind of, maybe if you squint, rejecting his destiny, mm-hmm. like that's the way you would frame it if you were arguing that that was the midpoint. So the call to action is when his destiny is presented to him by the nun cult yes and then the midpoint is except when... no one explains what that destiny is nope no nope <laughs> and then the midpoint is when he rejects it in the tent with his mom and they go on the lamb and then the climax is when he i mean i i guess you could say that he agrees to take that fight because because someone said something about his mom yeah, I really couldn't figure that out. I don't I don't know why he agreed to do that besides he didn't know he had to fight the guy to the to his death. I don't know why he thought he could win that fight besides arrogance, but he'd never been arrogant before. I didn't get any of it. I mean, he has been trained by what we're told are the best of the best. Yeah, but the only thing we've seen of them is they get their asses kicked. Yep. That's it. I mean, Aquaman, it's Duncan Idaho, he looks badass. But the first thing we hear about him is you're going to get killed. Yep. So I, I did not know they were supposed to be super great fighters. I think I was told that, but I didn't get it. <laughs> and the Fremen are supposed to be super great fighters, too. 
Well, obviously, they're the other desert people. Yeah. Obviously, they're going to be badasses. They've and got like, that whole mystical thing about them, like those super special emperor troopers that just showed up. Oh, yeah, the Sukakabadibadu. Sardaukar, yes. Sardaukar. I was going to call him Sukakau. Sukakau, yes. <laughs> but they're better than the Sardaukar, so. The Fremen are better? Were we told that? No, but it's going to be a plot point that they can kill Sardaukar. Yeah. Okay. Even though they got their ass kicked at that one thing. So we're like... I guess they weren't real Fremen there. I'm sorry. This is real derogatory. This story is basically a little boy in his bedroom playing with his figurines. And then another little boy comes along and he's like, but mine are better because they have super lasers. And then the other one is like, well, mine have extra special super lasers. Pretty much, yeah. The Sardaukar are like Spartan coated and Fremen are obviously Arabic coded, so... Yeah, he's not he's not really stretching with these. Like, the book is good. Like I was excited to read the sequel until I got to it and it was the sequel and I was bored, but that first book it draws you in. Okay, so the book is good because it's a compelling story. Yeah. It's a nice uh, it's Roman. I don't know how to pronounce it, but that thing. Buildings Roman. I can say it, but I can't now. Buildings Roman. I can't say it. Yeah. It's, coming, it's a good coming-of-age story. Yes. It's a good coming-of-age story where the kid has to come into his own and take up the fight. And it's... Like, and those are satisfying. They are. It's very satisfying. It's a fun story. And this was not it. This movie was... Like, I could see Timothy Chalamet really pulling off this role, but what they had him do in this did not do that. This was just boring trek through the... It, honestly, it felt... It felt stretched. like a checklist of the scenes they wanted to get in here. I don't even know what those scenes would be, though, because yeah. it was, like, not interesting. So I don't know how it could be. Because when you watch Harry Potter, maybe only because I know the Harry Potter stories because those films fall flat for me, too. But, mm -hmm. like, I feel like you get the checklist of what they wanted. But what did you want to see in this film that they showed you? Nothing is memorable to me. Uh, Baron Harkonnen flying around in his hover chair. Because he got space herpes after raping the Reverend Mother. Gross. Also, I thought he could just fly because he was like, his body was basically a helium balloon. No, uh, he was given a disease by the Bene Gesserit after he raped the Reverend Mother that he would get morbidly obese and would not be able to walk around himself, so they have anti-grav shit on him. Okay. Also, that's how uh, Paul's mother was born. Out of, out of being... Out of that rape, yes. Rape as plot point. Thank you, 1970s. I'm feeling very tired. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like it was so, so not acceptable today that they had to write around all of that. Yeah, there's a lot they, they had to cut out in these, in these movies to make them acceptable for today. Like they didn't fill in the holes. They just mm -hmm. were like, oh, look, instead of a coming of age story, we've written a really great desert Peace. We've written a three-hour tourist brochure for this place that doesn't exist. This story is like the desert. It's just as lacking in life and interest as the literal <laughs> desert. I'm waiting for David Attenborough to come over and do a voiceover for the wildlife. And here you see sparkly particles of sand. And here is the Muad'Dib, the desert mouse. <laughs> What's with the mouse? That's the... The mouse is... His his prophecy, he's the Muad'Dib, and the Muad'Dib is also the name of that desert mouse. 
okay, maybe that was in the film and I genuinely stopped paying attention at this point, but I thought he just felt a kinship with the mouse because he was like, I am small like you, but you can survive so I can survive. That's what I got. I mean, I'm sure that's what they were going for. But yeah, that part of that prophecy is he becomes the personification of that mouse to these people. The mythological abstraction of it. I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You got that, right? You picked up on that. No. (laughs) If you're going to make a blockbuster, make a blockbuster. That is actually, yeah. Yeah, because they they took a blockbuster story and they turned it into um this. No, like a like an indie. Yeah. It's paced as poorly as some real bad indies. Uh yeah. They took out all the things that would have made it a blockbuster, like riding on the sandworms, really cool epic space battles, a sense of wonder. Yeah. Where like- did the budget go? <laughs> It went into those desert shots. Yep. If you're going to make a blockbuster, make a blockbuster. Like, if that's the story you're telling, tell that story. Mm-hmm. Do not try to make it a sad, moody, epic Manchester by the sea. <laughs> Manchester by the sandworms. <laughs> <laughs> so they took a the basic coming-of-age story with a lot of problematic bullshit in it. They gave it to the director of Arrival. I don't know anything else that this guy's done. Mm-hmm. I really like Arrival, but it does have one tone and like one color scheme throughout. Mm-hmm. So he kind of does that. Like and, it's beautifully shot. But like, what did they create? Like, what yeah. did they think they were creating? And then what did they actually create? I mean, they thought they were creating a Star Wars for grownups. Oscar Isaacs described it that way. Oh, oh no, honey. Yeah. No. Okay. Oh boy. So grown-ups like good stories too. Mm-hmm. You don't uh, just want to get bored just because you're over the age of 30. They took out all the political turmoil. It's hinted at. This is why these guys hate each other because politics. Star Wars for grown-ups where we took out all the things that grown-ups find interesting. Mm-hmm. Like problematic religion, <laughs> politics, and whiny little brats who need to get smacked. Yep. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so bad. So yeah, they thought they were making this great piece for grown-ups to enjoy, and they made boring. They made a yawn fest. Mm -hmm. Yawn fest 2021. If you need a nap, we've got Dune. But guys, guess what? They're making the sequel. It's been greenlit. I mean, they kind of have to, because this is like a fluffer. (laughs) We got sci-fi teased, where I'm like, I feel like there's more going on here. It feels the same as the end of the Fellowship of the Rings. No. But Fellowship of the Rings did it better. Where it's like, oh, this story's not over. I can't wait to see what happens next. Yes. This one is, oh, this story's not over. Don't care. The Fellowship of the Ring was guaranteed to be a trilogy. Mm-hmm. So when you went to see it, unless you were my mom, you knew that that was only one <laughs> third of the story. This, I assumed that I was my mom. <laughs> and I just didn't know that this was like a two-parter or a three-parter or whatever. I mean, it opens with Dune Part 1, which would have been hilarious if it never got Part 2. But Does it really? Yeah. Oh, boy, I really did fall asleep on the job. <laughs> I just expected to be bored from Go and didn't even... I remember uh, Words at... on screen? I'm not reading that shit. <laughs> right? I think I looked at the typography of Dune and was like, interesting. You think you're cool. All righty. <laughs> that was about it. Dune, a half-assed story that was somehow made into a movie. 
Dune is a fully baked story well, that yes, was turned Dune... into a half-assed movie. Accurate. Okay. <laughs> and we'll see what the second movie does. Maybe it will have an uplifting finale that will change my view on this. And it will be like the two towers all over again. But until then, this was shit. This was shit. <laughs> <laughs> the nice thing about not having to write essays anymore is you can just conclude in that way. Yeah. This is shit. Next. My conclusion, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> How would you conclude it if like you had to write an essay? In conclusion... Dune was Dune s- was an attempt to recapture the idea of a young adult novel stretched out into a science fiction epic and failed miserably due to poor plotting and pacing decision making. This was the Dune episode of We Used to Be the Smart Kids. I'm Eric. I'm Carolyn. Catchphrase. Thanks for listening. Our intro music is from Tim Beak. You can find him at timbeak.com. And our outro music is by One Man Symphony. And you can find them at onemansymphony.com.